0: Hey, so we have been in uh, the book of Ruth and all the way to Ruth chapter 3. If you haven't been able to catch one of the gatherings as we've gone through the book of Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth takes place during the time period of the Judges, all right? Um, We walked uh, verse by verse through the book of Judges. It was a journey and filled with uh, a lot of things that We've heard we're in the Bible, and then now we know they are in the Bible. And, uh, and, and I think that one of the questions we always come away with from reading, studying the book of Judges is, was there anything good going on? And so the book of Ruth shares this story uh, of, this, of this family who's desiring to honor the Lord in spite of uh, the culture, in spite of what was going on, which we read in the book of Judges when it says, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, in other words, I want to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the Lord wants. Uh, I'm going to do it. And so uh, the, the people were constantly in that cycle. And, and we see this family. We're introduced to this family. And uh, the, the mother, uh, we'll call her, is Naomi. And, and Naomi has a husband named Elimelech. And Naomi and Elimelech, they leave Bethlehem and they go to the land of Moab with their two grown boys. And their two grown boys are married. Uh, And and so they go into the land of Moab and then tragedy strikes. Uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. And then both of her boys pass away. And so this is a grieving mother, a grieving widow, and, and as she's grieving, she, uh, she hears there's food back in their homeland in Bethlehem and, and decides, I'm going to go back, I'm going to return to my people, I'm going to mourn, uh, and, and I'm just going to try and survive. And so she uh, is, has, has decided she's going to return home, and so she tells her daughter-in-laws to return to their people. She says, I have nothing else to offer you. I'm just trying to make it myself, okay? And I can't take care of you. And so you guys go back to your families, back to your homelands, back to your gods, and and find a husband uh, so that you can have a fulfilling life. One of the daughters uh, takes her up on that offer, but then another one of the daughter-in-laws says, no, I'm not going back. Her name is Ruth. Ruth. So we're introduced to this young woman named Ruth who tells Naomi, her mother-in-law, I am going with you, I'm not gonna leave you. Your people are gonna be my people and your God is going to be my God. And so she goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And then last week in chapter two, we saw how uh, Ruth tells Naomi, we need food. So she goes out to glean in some of the fields and she just randomly ends up in the field of a man named Boaz. And we find out that, one, Boaz is a man of honor, but he's also connected through relatives to their family so that he could be a redeemer. He could redeem their land. He could redeem their family name. And, and he blesses Ruth uh, tremendously um invites her to to stay gleaning in his field gives her food invites uh, her to to eat with him uh, and his men. And then, um, and then he takes care of them, provides food and all of this, uh, acknowledges the reputation that she has in the community there of uh, Bethlehem. And all of a sudden we saw at the end of the chapter how Naomi, who was just bitter, bitter towards the Lord, bitter to her situation, all her plans, everything that she saw, this vision of the future is gone. She's in that space. And then through the work of God in Boaz's life, as he loves on Ruth and, and blesses Ruth and Naomi, we see hope. And now Naomi has hope. Ruth has hope. And we then pick up in chapter three, verse one, it says this. When Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? Uh, when Ruth and Naomi they're, they're, they're two widows, right when they come back to Bethlehem, their plan was just to survive. But now Naomi has a new plan. Her plan now is for Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to marry Boaz to bring about this rest, when you see rest in, in the Bible, it's really it's fulfillment. So so she's got this desire now for, for Ruth to marry Boaz. She's reading into the situation. She's seeing everything coming together. And she says, the timing is now. And so Naomi takes on this role of the matchmaker. A role that none of you mothers or fathers in this room have ever desired to take on for your kids. I'm sure of it. (laughs) <laughs> but she's she's motivated. Okay, we understand. We need to understand. There's a motivation behind this because uh, this is her family legacy continuing on. This is her family's land continuing to uh, to stay within her family. Uh, this is how they were, were honored. Uh, this is how they had their status, their identity. It was resting on that, on their their line, their family line continuing. And and so this is really really important. This is big to uh, Naomi. And and so she is motivated by this because there, you guys, there were men who would have and could have married Ruth, but they couldn't have redeemed her. Only as we saw last week, only a kinsman redeemer, uh, a close relative uh, could do that. And Boaz was that. And the responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer, it included redeeming family property so so they could purchase the family property back that had changed ownership. And it also included marrying a childless widow to raise up children in her dead husband's name. And, And we were introduced to this law, the law of leveret marriage. And according to that law, when there was no brother to raise up children in the name of the deceased, the responsibility was then extended to the next of kin. Uh, we read about this in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Let me just read Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Okay, so so by pursuing Boaz, Ruth's Children would stay in the family of Naomi. Ruth's sons will inherit Naomi's land and be responsible for her well-being, okay? So Naomi is motivated for this to happen. But it's important to understand that what happens in the story, it would have happened without Naomi's scheming. And she should know better than this by now. I mean, she she didn't scheme. She didn't have a plan for Ruth to come back with her to Bethlehem. In fact, she was trying to tell Ruth to not come back with her. Right? She was like, don't come back with me. There's nothing there for you, right? I-, I can't take care of you. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. All of these things. Um, and, and so she didn't scheme that into happening. Um, she didn't scheme the timing of her return at the barley harvest. Uh, she didn't scheme that Ruth would just happen to go into the field of Boaz. And then that Boaz would be there at the same time checking on his field. And then that he would just inquire about, hey, who is that? And then that Boaz would invite her to a meal. And then that Boaz would show her incredible kindness. Um, that her reputation would already be known to him. That he would supply food for them. She didn't scheme any of those things into existence. Like, 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 She should have just paused, taken a step back, and thought about this for a minute. Now, wait a minute. Look at all that has happened to bring me to this point. Look at how God has just sovereignly intervened. And, 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 and so uh, it, it was so clear that she could see that God's plan was much greater and better than anything that she could do. You guys, when we're tempted to intervene and make these plans that we believe need to happen when, when we intervene and say, okay, we're gonna make it happen. And, and, and sometimes we're like, okay, God, uh, you've led me this far or God, you opened this opportunity. Uh, okay, God, thank you. I got it, right? Or God, it's almost finished. God, they're right there. I've been praying for this person, God. They are perfect, God. Come on. One more step. God, I've been praying about this job. Okay? They just need to call back, God. They told me they would call me back. They told me they would email me back. I haven't heard back. Okay, God, I'm just going to send an email to everybody else but the person that interviewed me. Just see what happens. Right? God, I'm going to, and, and so there's all these moments in our lives where we're tempted to intervene, aren't we? We're tempted to finish what we believe God is leading us into or how he wants to bless us. And it's in those moments that we need to step back and just look and observe at all that God has done in your life to bring you to this point. You undeniably see his sovereign hand of protection, control, provision over your life. And, 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 and man, I am so tempted to intervene. There's so many times where I feel like, okay, God, I got this, or I just need to do this, and then I'll finish it. And, and God continually reminds me, Steve, step back. Look at what I've done in your life. Look at what I've taken you through. Uh, just, just, Steve, just ask this question. How did you get to Eugene? That's interesting. I, I don't know. He's like, yeah. Look at your wife. She's from Cleveland. You didn't do that. I did. Like over and over and over again, when I step back, I see all of these things that God has done that tells me his blueprint for my life is much better than whatever I could draw up. Whatever he's begun, he will finish. And so I don't have to get caught up in this, I must finish this. I have to intervene and make this happen because just as much as the Christian life consists of walking by faith, the Christian life consists of resting by faith and trusting God to provide without trying to manipulate my circumstances. See, since Naomi knew that Boaz would be uh, using the threshing floor that night and staying there to guard uh, the grain, uh, she instructed Ruth to prepare herself to meet him. She's got this game plan. And so uh, she first objectifies Ruth by telling her, I want you to make yourself beautiful. In other words, I want, uh, I, I want you uh, to get the nicest clothes on. I want you to look good, and I want you to smell. I want, I want you to be, have the right perfumes on and all of this. You're going to allure him in by how you smell, how you appear. And then she tells Ruth, you're going to be sneaky. Now, you guys, if anybody asks you to be sneaky flares should be going off that something's not right, right? If anyone asks you to sneak up and is outside of like a surprise birthday party or something, something's wrong, okay? Uh, and, and, and so she's, she wants her to, to sneak up on him. Um, and, and then Naomi knows that Ruth has no business being at the threshing floor at night. You guys, over and over in scripture, it highlights what happens that's evil that goes on at nighttime. Okay, many of you, nighttime has not been good to you. Lots of uh, evil happens at night and scripture highlights those things. So so she's gonna surprise him at night. Um, She's to keep her presence unknown to him because he's an honorable man. He would tell her like, he he would be like, what are you doing here? Go home. Um, And so in Naomi's plan for Ruth, she needs to wait until Boaz is satisfied with his food and drink. And he's asleep from the satisfaction and exhaustion from the work. And only then should Ruth secretly approach him. And then she tells Ruth to uncover his feet, which is interesting. Um, We're not fully sure all that Naomi was wanting Ruth to do there, but it's possible that she's only suggesting Ruth make this marriage proposal, as odd as that would be. Uh, There is no hint of anything more being proposed than for Ruth to uncover the legs and feet of Boaz. Um, And and why would she do that in the first place? Well, I mean, it's getting cold outside. You guys know how it is. If some of your feet, some of your toes are uncovered at night, what happens? You're like, ah, I'm cold, right? You gotta get covered. And so there's a strategy here, (laughs) right? With his feet exposed outside, he's gonna wake up. And when he wakes up, you're going to be there. You're going to be in position. You're going to smell good. You're going to look good. And then in that moment, whatever he asks, you do. Another red flare should be going off. Now, Ruth agrees to do everything that Naomi's asked. And if she believes Naomi has her best interest in mind, it makes sense for her to follow the plan. They are in survival mode. And as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Ruth follows the plan, doesn't she? She follows the plan. She waits until Boaz is satisfied with food and and, and drink. This is a joyful time, the harvest season. uh, It's a time that God designed Israel to go into a time of joy because this is where they acknowledged uh, their provision that only he could have provided it. And so it is the celebratory time. Uh, The men of the village would take turns using this threshing floor, uh, which was usually a raised platform outside the village, often on a hill where it could catch um, a, a breeze, because so, the wind was essential for that. Uh, the men, would they would de- deposit the sheaves on the floor, and then they would separate the grain from the stalks, whether it's through uh, oxen walking uh, over it, or through just beating it uh, against the ground. Uh, but once that grain was separated, uh, the workers would throw the grain into the air, and 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 the breeze would carry the chaff away while the grain would just fall to the floor. And then that grain would be heaped up and taken away. Uh, This was usually done in the evenings uh, to get the the most breeze that you could. And and so uh, usually uh, after it was done, they would then sleep there in order to protect their grain. And So Boaz is there, and he's laying down at the end of the pile of barley, and Ruth then secretly approaches him. She covers his feet, removes his outer garment so that he'd eventually wake up and notice her. And then we read, Boaz, he awakes at midnight. And he's startled, right? I mean, he's startled. He's in fact, the word used this year, he was like afraid. He's like, "ha!" Huh. Right? And and there she is. Now it's dark outside, right? They didn't have light pollution at that time, so it's dark. And, and and he can't tell who it is. And so he's just like, Who are you? You know, and and he understands he knows it's a female. Maybe someone with less character goes, Oh, I know why you're here, and tries to take advantage of that situation, but not Boaz. He's a man who honors and fears the Lord. And he just, he's like, who are you? I just want to know the identity. And then Ruth tells him who she is. And then she says something. She says, spread your covering over your servant. And you're like, what? What she's saying during that time is, will you marry me? will you pledge to be married to me? This is an expression, uh, this this placing uh, your garment over me. It was an expression, and it was used even of God in relation to Israel. In Ezekiel sixteen eight, 8, uh, it says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares to the Lord God that you became mine. So this is the words, this is the imagery of covering, uh, of placing that covering over that person. Uh, we see Elijah actually do it to Elisha, which means you're mine now, you're with me. And she's asking for Boaz to do that act uh, for her as an act of declaring intentions to marry her. It's so interesting how when Boaz and Ruth first met, uh, one of the things Boaz said to her was, you are safe under Yahweh's wings. Uh, You have placed yourself under him. And now she's using the same word to describe what she wants from Boaz. For him, as the family redeemer to cover her with the corner of his garment. You guys, Boaz is Yahweh's wing. He is God's means of providing Ruth with rest. Now, what's so interesting here is remember that Naomi had told her to uncover his feet and then just do whatever he told her to do. That's what Naomi said to do, right? But instead, Ruth in this moment does something different. She goes against what Naomi told her to do. Uh, Ruth actually tells Boaz what to do. And he agrees to do it. And this is a powerful moment for Ruth. And and, and, and what I believe here is that... Uh, Ruth, in this moment, is guarding and protecting the integrity that she has, and, and 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 she's making clear what her true intentions are because she realizes what this could look like, and so before Boaz uh, can can respond. Uh, Ruth, all of a sudden, separates the plan from Naomi's, and and before the Lord, she guards and protects the integrity that she has, the reputation that she's built up, and she declares to him, listen, here, it's me. This is why I'm here. This is my intention and my intention only. It's that you would marry me, that you would be the Redeemer. That's risky, isn't it? I mean, Boaz could have said anything in that moment. Could have refused, could have said, I want nothing to do with you. How dare you take my kindness and stretch it beyond what's appropriate? He could have all these things, but in his love for her, he accepted her. Even calling her my daughter, which was a term of endearment. And he pronounced a blessing on her. And he follows this blessing by praising her for choosing him. Something happens here in this interaction. And it's so powerful. Boaz, as as Ruth has just shared her intentions, her desires. And Boaz is a smart guy. I I believe he was like, okay, I see how all of this happened. I know Naomi. Naomi. And, and, and in this, he actually says, your kindness here is even greater than your kindness towards when you first came here and placed yourself uh, under Naomi, uh, under the Lord's leadership. This, this demonstrates a whole nother level of kindness. He's like, the fact that you would choose uh, me uh, to marry when all of these other younger men are options for you. Because uh, remember, he was older in age than her. More than likely he thought, I like her, I'm out of the running. And, and, and yet, um, and, and so he's, he's amazed that one, she would choose willingly to marry him. And then second, he knows the humility that's at play here where she is choosing to not only uh, place her life, her future uh, into his hands, but also she's still continuing to think about her mother-in-law because she knows that by asking him to do this, it carries on the legacy of Naomi. And Boaz is blown away by this. He's blown away by how she, having opportunities and options, say, no, this is what the Lord's leading me to. You are the redeemer. And you are the one that can redeem this family. And I wanna honor that. Remember, by pursuing Boaz, Ruth's children will stay in the family of Naomi. The land will as well. That name continues. And he tells her as she's put it out there, which is tough. Tells her, do not fear. He says, you're going to be redeemed. I will make sure you are redeemed. And then he he brings up her reputation again, doesn't it? He mentions how your reputation once again has preceded you. You are a a woman that is known all throughout Bethlehem as a woman of of honor uh, and integrity. And and so, yes, I want to do this uh, for uh, you. But then all of a sudden we see that he kind of throws a curveball, doesn't he? He's like, but just so you're aware, as a man of integrity, I need to tell you, Naomi probably doesn't know this, I'm guessing, because you're here right now, There is a redeemer closer in family relation than I am. So I'm going to first approach him. But fear not, if if he's unwilling to do it, I will do this for you. Guys, (laughs) I want you to just place yourself there in that moment for Ruth. I mean, she has just laid it out there. There's nothing else she can do, is there? Like, there's nothing else she can do. She cannot... Uh, she can't do anything else to try to manipulate the situation in her favor. And, and just as we, uh, in, in our own lives, we cannot manipulate the, this rest, this fulfillment in this present life with God. We can't manipulate him to get that. Uh, just like we cannot manipulate the final rest, uh, the eternal salvation that only God can provide. We don't manipulate him into receiving that. No. Um, and, and, and just as... Boaz assures Ruth. The Lord assures you and I today. He says, fear not. Fear not. You guys, fear not is the word of assurance that the Lord gave all throughout scripture to those who would follow him by faith. Over and over and over again. We see him saying, fear not. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, the the nation of Israel. Uh, We see Mary. Uh, We see the the, the shepherds at night. Fear not, Uh, Paul, uh, John. And, And so as he's saying this, not only did Boaz calm Ruth's fears, but he made a promise to her concerning the future. I will do for you all that you ask. You guys, whatever God starts, he finishes. Whatever God starts, he finishes. I think we've all met people who are great at starting things, horrible at finishing. Whatever God starts, whatever God has begun, whatever God has desired, he promises by the authority of scripture that he will bring it to completion. And that's why it says fear not, right? I mean, Philippians 1, 6 is so clear. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so here in this passage, in this moment, Boaz is, once again, he's a picture of the Redeemer. Remember, we get a picture of the Savior, of Jesus through Boaz here. And, and, and just as Boaz is telling Ruth, fear not, I will bring this to fulfillment. The Savior of the world looks down us in our moment, uh, in in our times where we go, there's nothing else I can do, God. God, I can't write the rest of the story. You have to. He says, Steve, fear not. Fear not. And that is a word of assurance that he says, I am in complete control. Whatever I start, I finish. I bring it to completion. I am sovereign over all this. And then in verse 14, says, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman who came to, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth could end up with nothing. Boaz doesn't have to keep his word. Or, Or maybe, and maybe this is equally as terrifying for Ruth is, Redemption could happen, but redemption could be marrying someone she doesn't even know, who is nothing like Boaz. So now there's this unknown, isn't there? There's this fear that could be associated with uh, this. But either way, uh, Ruth, she responds to what Boaz says. She rests until the morning uh, as Boaz is trying to guard her reputation now. And he says, okay, rest here in the morning and then early. You need to go and, and, and we don't want uh, people gossiping about uh, this. And, and before she leaves, he fills her up with more food to take home, assuring her of his love for her. his care for her, and for Naomi. And so Ruth returns to Naomi and shares all that has happened. And here's what we see in the response of Naomi. Naomi's learned her lesson, hasn't she? Isn't her response a little different here? We see that she's now trusting the Redeemer rather rather than manipulating the outcomes because she told Ruth to sit still and wait for the outcome. Sit still and wait for the outcome. This is the most difficult part of faith, isn't it? When no more action can be taken and and nothing remains but to wait patiently for God to work out his will. That's the most difficult part. when, When there's nothing else you can do to bring about the completion to the plan that you believe God is leading you to and you have to sit there and then wait. And it's at that moment for many of us that doubts begin to arise right? Was that really the Lord? Was he really calling me to do that? Was he calling me to say that? Was he calling me to move there? Uh, it, it's in those moments where uh, anxiety creeps in, right? And, and, and so it's in those moments that, that we're tempted to, to what? To finish the story, right? We can't wait anymore. Like, God, uh, the, the timing, it, it's over. Like, I have to make this happen, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Cause this has happened so many times uh, in my life. I'll never forget. Uh, I was interviewing for a job and we, we flew in and then they were like, Hey, look at houses uh, and, and all this. And everything was just great about this trip. And, and we're looking at houses and everything and we're excited. And, and before we get on the plane to leave, they're like, great, you know, uh, yes, we're going to call you back. Um, and all this and, and, you know, let your employer know, you know, that you're going to be leaving, all that. So I'm like, fantastic, right? So I go back home and um, they don't call back. Worse than that is I told my current employee I was leaving. Which is why when you guys ask for advice, I say, don't do that, right? (laughs) Because I've had to grow a lot (laughs) over the years, which led to a lot of awkward conversations with my wife. Um, (laughs) But... Ultimately, they did end up calling back and it did end up working out. But I think there's so many times in our lives where we hit that spot where we cannot do anything more to make it happen. And either we just are crippled by doubt and anxiety or we say, I will make it happen and what we do in those moments is we actually forget that scripture over and over and over again tells us that it's through faith and patience that we will inherit the promises right i mean hebrews 6:12 so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises later in hebrews 10:36 for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Uh, You guys, uh, here's, here's the reality. Many of you know this. You cannot rush endurance. Like, there's no shortcut to getting endurance. You can't leave here and go, all right, I'm gonna do this secret workout, and then the next day, I'm gonna have all this endurance. It doesn't happen, right? Endurance is only built up over time you can't speed up perseverance right like it doesn't even make sense to say yeah i've been persevering the last five hours have been awful but i've persevered right no perseverance is built up over time and yet and yet we over and over again and read in scripture how how these are good things that ultimately god is working in and through to bring about his perfect finished work in your life Since Naomi and Ruth trusted that Boaz would accomplish what he said he'd do, they waited. It reminds me in Psalm 37, five, when it just says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. How many times do we just need to step back? Because when, it, when we commit our way to the Lord, what are we saying? We're saying, God, it's your story. It's your finish That's your job. Whoever I marry, it's it's gonna be who you pick. Wherever I need to move, you'll move me there. Um, What needs to happen in my kids, God, I entrust them to you, right? Uh, at, At the end of the day, to be able to step back is going to require us to commit our way to the Lord, which is handing him the reins, which is to give him uh, control. You guys, uh, over and over again, waiting is one of the most difficult things for any of us to do. And I'll tell you right now, personally, it is maybe the one I struggle with the most. If any of you have relationship with me, you know I have never been characterized as a patient person. And and yet, wait is what Naomi's counsel to Ruth is. Ruth would have accomplished absolutely nothing by following Boaz around throughout Bethlehem, right? Hey, remember the promise. Hey, hey, I'm still here. I'm waiting for you. Let's go. Hey, do you need help in that conversation? Because I can help you. I know what to say. Uh, you know, all these things, right? Trying to help him keep his promises. And our human nature, it gets it gets nervous and it wants to help God out. And when we try, we only make matters worse, don't we? You guys, stand, stand. Was the command of Moses to the Israelites when they were there on the hill, the Red Sea's there, and they see uh, the army of Pharaoh approaching, coming after them to wipe them out, and, and they're freaking out. And, and Moses' command, which just blindsided them, was stand still. Stand still. There was no need to panic. God had the situation under control. And then at the perfect time, the Lord commanded the people to go forward through the sea, a route that they had no idea was even a route. And he led them safely through the sea and at the same time took out their enemies. You guys, there is a time to stand and there is a time to march and we must be alert and we must be connected to God deeply so that we can know and, and that we can follow which one of those he's calling us to. And so often we highlight in, in churches like all these, these, these works that people have done. But you guys, I'm convinced some of the greatest works that have ever come out have come through Waiting, being able to wait. And it's the people in scripture who were able to embrace the waiting that were able to see the hand of God move, like the nation of Israel there. And, and, and so, uh, if that's going to happen, we've got to have these moments where we can just sit back, like Psalm 46 10 tells us, be still. Can we just be still? And no, it says that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. You guys, that, you want, you have a restless spirit. There you go. Can you step back and just be still and go, God, you are God. The, the Hebrew word translated be still literally means to take your hands off. It means to Relax. It's so easy for us to get impatient with the Lord and to start meddling in these matters that we ought to leave alone, but yet he reminds us over and over again, he's God and he can accomplish the impossible. And what do we see through this imagery of of Boaz? Boaz, it says, was, was busy working on their behalf to bring redemption to fruition. And Ruth and Naomi, they're confident in that. And you guys, just as they were confident in the work that was being done to bring about their fulfilled redemption, you guys, it encourages my heart to know that, that Jesus is at work continuously on my behalf. You get, like, if you are a Jesus follower in this room, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, do you understand that right now he is advocating continuously to the Father on your behalf Do you understand that, how much he loves you in that? Do you also understand that at the same time, continuously, nonstop, he's at work in you and through you to bring about his perfect plan for your life? Like, that's what's happening right now. And so whenever I'm like, no, God, I've got this, or no, I, I'm gonna do it my way, I'm intervening and, and, and I'm, I'm literally like Ruth or Naomi saying, that's a great promise, Boaz, and, and yeah, you've proven faithful and, uh, and all that, but we're gonna work a little harder than you at, at, at making this happen. No, they're like, let's be still. Let's watch as redemption happens. We trust him. And guys, ultimately, if I cannot sit back and be still before the Lord and let him do whatever he needs to do in my life, there's a trust issue. It's unavoidable. If I cannot willingly be still and let him have his way, there's a trust issue. So my question is, have you put yourself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest And are you trusting him to work?